our business kind of now focuses on trying to reduce the amount of animals that are, I guess, removed or destroyed um, and their resources not used. We're still, we still really do understand that um, they will be seen as a, as a pest, but as they're targeted regardless, I think it's much better that we use these animals um, and try and get these, them on plates and things like that. This is The Producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. If one thing defines Jonas Wajaya, it's a passionate dislike for waste. After discovering he was unable to donate excess meat after a hunting trip, he realised he could make a difference. With wild deer being culled and left in the field to go to waste in northern New South Wales, he embarked on a journey to bring wild venison to the plates of diners down under. I grew up with a a very close family, friends in New Zealand. Um, They run a restaurant there in Auckland um, called Kazador Restaurant. It's a Persian restaurant, but predominantly, well, all game food um, um, and nose to tail. So, you know, around that time when they opened, it was nothing like anything else in Auckland. Um, They were um, hunters. There was um, taxidermy all throughout the restaurant. Um, they took people out on um, hunting expeditions and guided fishing trips and things like that. Um, and so kind of growing up very close to these people um, was a little bit of like, I guess, um, something that caught my attention in terms of, oh, of food and nose to tail eating. Um, and it's kind of in- interesting as well because, you know, around that time, I guess I, I was the age of, you know, as a kid watching cartoons like, um, you know, Disney cartoons and Looney Tunes. So we've got, you know, we've learned a lot about how the hunter was the evil character in all of these things, you know, obviously in, in Bambi and then there's Alma Fudd um, who, who a kid doesn't really think about if you hadn't grown up as a hunter, they don't think that that's something that people would really um, understand. Um, so, um, I had those two things kind of contradicting in my life, um, really interesting stuff and really un- started to understand about food um, from these people and, and, and really interested in the whole idea of nose to tail um, and having these smells when we'd go and hang out upstairs from the restaurant while everything was going on downstairs. Um, and so I think that's probably what sparked it, um, but I didn't start hunting until um, quite a bit later. Jonas started to develop an interest in wild food and the ethos of respecting the whole animal. But it wasn't until the first time he shot an animal while on a hunt that a broader understanding of where food comes from and the values he holds onto came to the fore. The first hunting experience was, um, um, well, the first time that I shot an animal was a rabbit and I didn't quite cry, like I didn't sob or anything, but I definitely had a little tear start to develop. Um, and it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a, it's a really emotional thing. And I think that's really a beautiful thing because you don't have to like always be, I guess, eating food that you're hunting for a moment like that to really shape the way that you, um, that you select the food that you eat. Just having that one moment could have probably been enough for me to now, now, be really conscious about what I select to eat, 
um, and how I select that and, and what values are important to me in terms of, you know, looking for a producer um, or, a, um, or, or food that I, that I do want to eat. So that was, um, that was the start, but um, the, the, what I got the most out of was um, preparing um, these animals, um, understanding um, how to, you know, how to gut an animal, how to skin the animal and all of these things that was quite exciting because it was very outside of, you know, my upbringing other than this restaurant. But, you know, my family didn't do it. We went fishing every now and then. Um, we weren't very successful, um, but we gave it a go. Um, and, yeah, so doing these things for me it was very out of the box and people didn't really expect that coming from from me. Um, so um, having that um these experiences um, really have have shaped, um, I guess, a, a more a more broad understanding and, and an interest in, in in food and and where it all comes from. It wasn't just about knowing where your meat comes from. For Jonas, the early days was about managing waste, considering those less fortunate, and how excess food in some walks of life could perhaps help those with little to nothing at all. It got him thinking about culling, management of wild stocks, and those in society in need. Well, back to this family again. So they they were guides. Um, they they guided hunting. They then tried to f- use whatever meat that they were able to access and in, um, in their hunting for their menus. Um, but they also had, I guess, a really large amount of of excess meat and they were very good at um, finding ways to move that excess meat just through donations um so look i i out of university i was um i went straight into primary school teaching um but at a a certain point i started thinking about what this family was doing with their excess meat um i started thinking about you know i was teaching in low decile schools where you know kids would be coming to school barefoot or without a lunch you know any lunch in their lunch boxes other than the pack of twisties or something like that. Um, and so um, I really did think about the fact that with these, with this hunting industry um, and um, uh, guided hunts and things like that, there and, and, and culling and like management as well, there's this huge excess of meat um, that has the potential to really support a lot of people. So, that's where the idea started for me, um, thinking about how how what what this family was doing to donate um, excess meat could be um, more widely understood um, with uh, an, an actual system in place um, for donating excess meat. So to start, the business idea was more of a um, charitable or not-for-profit um, system. Um, um, where yeah, so where, where people could kind of say, look, I've I've hunted more than I can eat um, or give away, um, and and we want to find a place for this meat. So that's where it started. But it was actually around the time that um, when this started to develop into something that I really believed could happen. Um, that was around the time that we moved to New South Wales. Northern New South Wales is known for large herds of wild deer. But wild deer are pest animals in Australia and are routinely culled and left in the field to go to waste. With his unique upbringing, Jonas realised that every animal harvested could reduce waste 
by providing a healthy meat alternative. And the idea of Fair Game was born. We um, are based just outside of Lismore in the Northern Rivers. Um, basically, Fair Game is at the moment focused on um, deer and venison um, or other parts of the animal as well, other than the meat. But we, um, we're a, we really are a business that's looking to reduce the amount of waste that's associated with controlling um, deer populations um, because they're seen as a pest. So um, they're all wild harvested um, and these um, animals, they're seen as a pest because they've got, um, they, they, they cause a lot of um, like financial burden to um, farmers um, because obviously they, they go, they can, they can jump fences and move around as wherever they want. Um, and that's how they get onto these pastures that are intended for cattle or into crops that are obviously intended to sell at market. Um, um, so they're seen as a, as a problem. They're also seen as a problem because as an introduced species and a hoofed animal, um, they do a lot of damage to the environment, um, trampling natives, um, ring barking by rubbing. Um, and, um, so there, there, there's a need to manage these numbers if we want to protect, you know, the, um, the native environments. So. We've got um, our, our business kind of now focuses on um, trying to reduce the amount of animals that are, I guess, removed or destroyed um, and their resources not used. We're trying to re reduce the number of animals wasted and, and, and increase the number that are where the resources are being used. So it's... We're still, we still really do understand that um, they will be seen as a, as a pest, but as they're targeted regardless, I think it's much better that we use these animals um, and try and get these, them on plates and things like that. Harvesting wild animals is very different to commercial farming. Animals grown on farms are fed a regime designed by a nutritionist and are transported to an abattoir, processed, packed and off to market. Wild deer are free to roam and graze with no chemical inputs and no restrictions on diet or movement. Wild venison requires no live transport, no mustering into yards and no abattoir. So the supply chain's got quite a few stages um, and, and a few different types of licensing that you need to um, acquire in order for it to be um, a commercial and safe product. Um, starts off with the field harvester and the field harvester is also food authority um, certified. Um, they're the ones that go out at night mostly um, and shoot under spotlight. Um, they, they travel in their vehicles and shoot from their vehicles um, and um, they, they, they shoot the animals and then take those to field depots which are the cold boxes. Um, Part of the regulation is um, it's called an ethical dispatch, um, and basically these animals have to be shot in the head, um, in the brain, um, and the reason is that it's instant. Um, animals don't realise that it's going to happen. Um, there's no stress associated for the animal, um, and you know, like what I what I really love about this regulation, to be honest, is that um, so my my um, my 
position in the supply chain for this business is the um, uh, game meat processing. Um, and game meat processors can't buy an animal that hasn't been through that type of dispatch, which means that the field harvesters, whether or not they're cowboys, and I've never met any that are real cowboys that don't care, all of them have very similar values. You know, they're doing this um, because of because they value the idea of using this um, this resource, you know, as as a meat source. Um, but the thing is, they're not going to take a shot that they're not one hundred percent confident in. Because if they take a shot and they don't, and they and it's a missed shot, and they can't sell that animal, and then the rest of the herd's gone. So. Whether or not they're a cowboy out there shooting guns, we know that this animal has had an instant, an instant um, death, and a stress-free death. So it's 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 that's it's a really great way of knowing that each of these animals has had has a good life and a quick death. Um, we um, the those field harvesters um, they 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 sign a declaration. Um, uh, which um, basically um, shows that the animal behavior is as expected. Um, so that's where you can start um, cutting out any, any potential disease. Um, and then they're taken to a field depot where their temperature is dropped down quickly for, for safe eating. Um, and from there, a game meat processor can can um, break that down um, and, and sell it on. Australia is now home to six species of wild deer. While deer is farmed for venison, wild populations need to be culled to help curb the environmental damage. Most of the deer that we have access to are either chittle deer or fallow deer, and both of those deer are very good eating. Um, they're very tender um, and they're really quite delicate. Um, I think there's definitely, um, I think a, a lot of people have a m misunderstanding about deer and a lot of people would say, no, I don't eat deer because it, no, I don't eat venison because it's too gamey. Um, I think a lot of people who have had a gamey deer or really like really strong flavored animal is normally related to, um, you know, the, um, a, a, a hunter's, a hunter has gone out seeking the largest animal. Um, they've gone out um, seeking something during the breeding season or the rut. Um, and so those animals do, do taste a lot, um, a lot stronger. Um, whereas generally um, these animals are actually a really delicate um, flavor and they take on the flavors of whatever you're cooking it in. Um, really, really tender, um, very easy to cook. Um, and, um, and, and, and super diverse in the way that you can cook them. Wild venison has almost no saturated fat. It's high in protein, B12. It's high in zinc, iron, and phosphorus. But as Jonas explains, it's just really bloody delicious. We do anything from like large bone and cuts. So, um, you know, people who like to take the, the hind leg um, and, and hang it off the tendon um, to either continue to age or to hang it over a fire and cook over coals. Um, there's that. There's 
there's large shoulder bone and shoulder cuts that we do, which is an amazing brazing cut. Um, we do an oyster cut as well as, um, as well as a, um, a, a brazing cut where we, we keep the shank and the neck meat attached to that as well. So it's really beautiful to braise. And then we go um, down to whole muscles. So selling, um, you know, backstrap as well as the top side and rump and knuckle all sold kind of really nicely um, um, with the sinew removed and um, presented in a way that um, home, home chefs can, can cook it without having to um, do too much to it. Um, and um, as well as that, there's mints and diced cuts. And then we also have, um, we've got um, the moment for, different sausages we've got a bush tomato a juniper berry um, a lemon myrtle and wattle seed and a fresh chorizo um, and then we've also been developing and pretty much nailed um, a fifth one which is um, yeah so those are the four they've, they've all got um, free range pork fat in them but this fifth one we've managed to make a pure venison without any fat and still have a really beautifully textured soft and um, juicy sausage without any Fat, so that's a product which is an entirely unfarmed um, sausage that we're doing, and then, then there's also a salami that we've got manufacturing at Salumi Australia. Like all small businesses, Jonas started off small, connecting with artisan producers and farmers markets to celebrate the unique eating experience and ethos behind his product. Soon enough, word got around, and chefs from Brisbane to Sydney started menuing his venison. I started selling it um, in my own town here in Lismore. Um, the first place that I sold it to was a burger joint um, called, at the time it's called The Dirty Wilson, it's now called Dirty's um, in Lismore. And they did, a, uh, they did a venison burger and I remember at the time they said, we're gonna call it the Bambi Burger. And I thought, oh, what are you doing? You can't do that. And then I realized now that that's great, hilarious. And, and it's, it's very important at the same time because you know people need to, open their eyes to what they're eating and understand that they are eating an animal and, and start to question, you know, why, why is it such a big deal to eat Bambi and not such a big deal to eat lamb? Um, so um, that's the first place. Um, and then kind of um, just around the Northern Rivers in, the, in different restaurants around the Northern Rivers um, and into some shops close by. So now we're, now we're selling throughout the Northern Rivers, um, down into Sydney, um, up to Brisbane, um, and have salami moving um, interstate as well. Farmers markets are a vital link between artisans and consumers looking to dig deeper. But restaurants are where produce can shine and become the star on the plate. One that comes to mind is um, a, a restaurant in Brunswick Heads um, called Cado. Um, Giorgio, the chef there, has always been super um, supportive um, and, and, and loves just, he's a, he's a great chef that understands that we're, you know, we're selling whole animals. So rather than, rather than asking us um, for a specific cut, he always asks, you know, what do you need to move? What have you got that, um, that not many other people are buying at the moment, um, which is a great start, but um, I remember, you know, not so long ago, driving home 
at, in the evening after a delivery up, run up into Brisbane and it being quite late and missing all of the um, closing, closing times on the, on the way home of places that I could pick up something quick to eat. Um, so I just knocked on the back of the kitchen um, at Kada and I said, have you got anything left in the pot, you know, because um, coming by and there's nothing really else here in, in the area that I want to want to eat. I could have got a sausage roll at the service station, but I tried, I tried the back door at Kado and, and that was an incredible night. He said, oh, well, you know, yeah, come in. Um, is it just you? Choose something, choose a main and I'll look after the rest. And um, I was just really nicely treated um, there um, and got to try all of their dishes basically um and yeah it was just really nice to be treated so well um and especially in such you know short notice so definitely one of my favorite jonas believes by eating wild venison you're protecting our vulnerable and unique natural assets deer have a massive impact on the bush and removing this introduced species from the natural environment leaves room for our native species to thrive. It is important, but I think um, when, you, when, you, when you're talking about how important is it for the environment, it's really hard to, to, to really think about what the real impacts are. And I think um, this is a small business. We don't do a, an, a, an extremely large number of animals. We're not making a huge change in terms of the the reduction of, um, you know, the native habitats being saved and things like that. But it's it's still important. And I think that it's really important for people who um, choose what they're, what they're doing and the decisions that they're making, that they, they can be um, open to not having to change the world, but have being able to make these small changes, um, be okay with doing what you can. I mean, I don't only eat wild meat either um and i'm not um i'm not saying that i'm perfect in terms of everything that i choose when i'm looking for something to eat but i know that you know when i've got the option and i can what i can do i do do um and um i think it's important to for, for if, if everyone if everyone was able to to think that way rather than um you know um thinking that the that they need to that they need to change the world they can just make little changes that mean a lot, I think. Um, so yeah, it, it is, it is important. It feels important to me as well, because I do look at, um, on that kind of that, that same thing. I look at each animal that we've got here and I think that, um, there's a, there's a really big chance that these animals would be killed in other ways if it's not for human consumption. If it's a if it's a if it's a farmer that needs to um, look after their family and needs to remove animals, you know, then they they'll do that. Um, and if it's um, a government agency that needs to reduce the numbers through an aerial cull, um, they'll do that. But this animal could have been one of those. Um, there was a there's a, a good e example of an area where we where we where we do um, access quite a lot of animals. Um, and um, you know, I got word that. Just you know, um, recently they had done quite a large cull of uh, about 250 animals a in a couple of days, and you know you hear that f you hear that initially, and you're pretty gutted that all of those animals have literally just been shot and left there. 
But at the same time, I think about all of the animals, the hundreds of animals that we took from that area throughout the year. And each of those ones are part of the same herd that moves through these areas that, um, that they did the aerial cull. So those ones that we ate was, is a perfect example of, you know, animals that were, were not wasted, that they were used for human consumption, um, that they gave people nutrition. So, you know, um, yeah, that's what keeps us going. I think it's, it, it is important. It makes, it feels important. Fair Game is a huge achievement by a young man with an appetite to make the world a better place. But the impact has surprised him, not just attracting the attention of meat eaters looking to know more about where their food comes from, but interest from vegetarians too. I think the, the highlight or the, the one thing that I'm the most proud of um, is probably, um, well, there's two things. The first one is actually doing it. Um, it's, it's easy to think about what you want to do, and um, but just making that leap and saying, look, I'm going to give it a shot. Um, but, but throughout the last couple of years, I think the one thing that I'm really proud of is um, those who have, um, have identified as vegetarian coming to me and saying, we don't eat meat, we haven't eaten meat for decades, but the reason we don't eat meat is not because we want to save the animals. It's because of not uh, because of it's, it's because of the meat industry and not knowing where our meat comes from. And these people come to me and they say that I'm very transparent about how everything is done. Um, they they like the fact that there's no live transport to an abattoir. They like that. Um, um, that it is a harvested, uh, wild harvested animal. Um, they appreciate that the animals are targeted regardless as a pest and that, you know, as if we're eating these animals, that it actually reduces the need for, um, for large culls. Um, and so I've actually got uh, a, a pretty good number of people who have previously identified as vegetarian who now rely on the venison as their only protein or only meat protein. Um, so it's a, it's a huge one. It really, I think that really proves the, the ethics, um, the, the cleanly, the, the, how clean this product is. Um, when you've got people who are very normally very staunch about, um, not, not having animal products coming up and, and seeking this product out. So, um, different, that's definitely got to be, a major um, thing to be proud of, I think. Jonas started all of this to find a means to reduce waste, to help ease the burden, even if it's small, on the environment. And in turn, he has created a business he truly believes in. Going out on, on a hunt with the, with the intention of, of taking an animal for food kind of opens up your it changes it changes your view on on all all types of food when you're going out and you're putting in that effort um, and you're and you're stalking an animal you're putting in that effort um, to 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 get this food um, you know everything that's happened um, to that animal and I think knowing is is a, is a major is a really 
important and, and, and major kind of influence or influential kind of um, reason to, to, to hunt um, because it changes your, um, the way that you think about anything that you eat. You start to really consider all the animals, all the different types of animals that you've eaten. You're making a decision between, you know, the $2 cheaper lamb and, you, and, and, and the one which may be from an organic farm or a local farmer that you actually know. You, may be, you, you will definitely pay more knowing um, that that animal has been treated well. And I think that, you know, um, hunting is the thing that's kind of got me to think that way about everything that I consume. Um, so that's it's a huge change. It's definitely a huge change. It connects you to all of your food, to your environment. Um, and, and it's a very important, I think, thing to, to understand um, or to, to feel so that when you are at the supermarket and you are looking at all of these different products in plastic, that you, you, you at least make an informed decision. We've become so removed from where our food comes from. But as Jonas has discovered, being able to trace every step of the process, it's changed the way he values all food in his life. And although we all still rely on supermarkets, the more we take the time to understand where our food comes from, the greater connection we will make with what fuels our bodies. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.